So the moral of the story is this morning, if you're ever in a fishing competition, you want Jesus on your team. Amen? <laughs> kind of blows away the competition a little bit there if he can tell the fish what to do. When Jesus calls Peter and says, follow me, Peter has no idea the invitation that he is being offered. Jesus says, we're going to change the world, and he meant it. When Jesus calls Peter to follow him, Peter had no idea what was coming his way. And he says to Peter, and he says to you this morning, my invitation to you is not to be a religious person. Believe it or not, first and foremost, my invitation to you is to follow me, is to follow me. I love clips like that because it brings us back to the beginning. So often, I know that so many of you are new to this whole church thing, and we're so glad that we're here, that you're here. When, when, when we say we believe it's no accident that you're here, we really believe that because as a staff, we pray over these seats. We pray over this space. We pray for these services, and we pray that you, that you would come every week. Yes, those of you that are in the community, but we expect new people, people that don't know Jesus, people that don't have a church home, in which many of you uh, are checking things out and you're figuring this whole thing out, or you've been away from the church for a while, that's why we exist as a church, for people that don't know Jesus and don't have a church home, okay? And at that moment, Peter was one of those people, okay? He certainly didn't know Jesus until Jesus called him in that moment, and I'm doubting that Peter has had a church home at the time because there was no church. So the primary invitation is to follow Jesus. Some of you have your Bibles in front of you this morning. If you just look at that, sometimes I just wonder if, if we just took the Bible as it was, with no preconceived ideas or, or misconceptions or assumptions of what we think church is like. Whether you grew up with it or you just have these assumptions like, oh yeah, I've kind of been there and done that. I know what that is. What if we just took God's word as, as it is and we looked at it and we just read these stories and, and saw stories like this when Jesus just shows up to some ordinary fishermen and says, follow me, we're going to change the world. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Jesus says, follow me. He says that to you this morning as well. And when we hear that invitation, I know for some of you, maybe you're a little bit like Peter and you're saying, I don't know if I want that, right? I kind of like my life the way it is. Because we know that if I sign up to follow Jesus... That means that he's probably going to get me out of my comfort zone. He's going to ask me to do things I don't want to do. I'm going to have to change. And I haven't met very many people that like to change, that, that, that like to, to get out of their comfort zone and, and, and be pushed around a little bit and be molded and shaped by somebody else calling the shots. And that's Jesus' invitation to us. Others of you are like, yeah, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go all in with Jesus, but I'm not exactly sure how to do that. And I have to tell you, in, in the last nine, almost ten years now of being here at Hope Des Moines, I have drank a lot of coffee with a lot of you. I've drank more coffee uh, in the last ten years than I have my entire life uh, because of you and going to coffee shops and grabbing lunch and getting together in your homes. And I don't keep like a written down list, but I keep a mental memory of all the questions and themes that, that pop up. And one of the ones that's always towards the top of the list, one of the, the main questions is this. How exactly do I follow Jesus every day? How do I grow in my faith? I love Sunday morning. It's awesome. It's great. I get all fired up and we sing the songs. But then what does it look like on Monday? What does it look like on Wednesday afternoon? How do I actually follow Jesus daily? And that's the question that we're going to unpack today because we're in the middle of this sermon series that we kicked off last week uh, called You Asked For It. And these, are, these topics are based on questions that as pastors we hear you 
uh, asking on a regular basis. And we're going to ask that question today. How exactly do I grow in my faith? And here's what I love about this question. I love it because you are an incredible church because you're asking the deeper question. If you're asking, how do I grow in my faith? That must mean that there's something inside of you that says, there's got to be more to what I'm experiencing. Sometimes we find the answers by asking the right questions. Even if we don't know what the answer is, and your questions are welcome here, your doubts are welcome here. We are a skeptic-friendly church. We are a struggling, I'm struggling in my life, and I don't have all the answers. We're that kind of a church. So it's a safe place to be, just like it was for Peter. I don't know if I want that. But when you say, how do I grow in my faith, you're saying, there's got to be more than an hour once a week. There's got to be more than, than going through the motions or being a nice religious person and showing up once in a while. And the good news is, this morning, is that there is so much more. In fact, we have this list of five core values as a church about what we're about. We talked about these for those of you that were at our, uh, our new member class uh, last week. And 15 new families joined our church last Sunday. Praise God for that. That's awesome. Right up there. <clears throat> And, uh, and one of the things we talked about was our, was our core values. And one of those core values is this. Go ahead and go to the next slide, and let's read it nice and loud together. Following Jesus is a growing experience, meaning we don't stay stagnant in our faith. Every single one of us is called to be a lifelong learner of Jesus. Our next service, at our 11 o'clock service, we are going to have our first ever confirmation service as five eighth graders are going to confirm their faith uh, in Jesus uh, next service. So if you want to stick around, we'll make, yeah, you can clap for that as well. Um, <laughs> you can hang out in the loft and give other people the premium seats uh, down here if you want to stick around for that. But one of the things that I told them last Wednesday uh, when they delivered, they, they, they wrote a faith statement, okay? These are eighth graders, and they wrote multiple paragraphs, a faith statement, and then read it in front of everybody, right? Isn't that pretty incredible? I mean, how many of you could do that, right, today? Say, what do you believe? Who, who does Jesus to you? What does your faith mean to you? And write an entire page and then read it in front of everybody, right? These are eighth graders doing that. Pretty incredible, right? And so they're reading these, and one of the last things I told them last Wednesday at our last meeting, I said, guys, the biggest mistake that you could make is thinking that this is the end. That the biggest danger of this idea of confirmation is that you, if they run out of that room or run out of the service today and go, Woo! I graduated from church! right? We don't have any caps and gowns here today, and I don't see any here today because none of us, even as adults, we never graduate from church. But it's so, it's so dangerous is that when we've been following Jesus for a while, and a lot of you have been around the church for a while, and you come every week, is to kind of think that been there, done that attitude. Did you forget that we're worshiping the God who flung the stars into place and holds the universe in the palm of his hand? And we think, oh yeah, I got this thing. No, you don't. We worship the God of the universe, and he's inviting you to follow him every single day. I told the confirmation kids, this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. It's not the end. The Christian life is, is by its very nature on the move. Go back to the scene with Peter. When Jesus says to Peter, and he says to you this morning, follow me, he's not saying, and stay there and think about it once you're in a better season of life where your schedule calms down a little bit, and once you've read the entire Old Testament and really understand Leviticus and all of that, then you guys can follow me and be my disciples. He just says, just as you are, with all your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups and your doubts and your questions, Jesus says, let's go. Let's go. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, let's go. 
That's what Jesus says. Let's go. Let's go on the adventure. Let's go on the adventure of a lifetime. And so depending on where you're at, Jesus says, you, you, I'm going to accept you right where you are, but I refuse to leave you that way. Following Jesus means we're on the move. You can't stay where you are. And so that leads us to the next question. If discipleship is a journey, if following Jesus is a journey, then where are you at? So I'm going to try to scoot this back as far as I can so everybody can see it. But sometimes I like to kind of draw it out. If the Christian life is a journey and you start here, right, we, we meet Jesus and the Christian life is a journey, some of you, your journey is all messed up and it's going all over the place. But for a lot of us, if we kind of look at a map, it's like a staircase and we kind of zoom out and get the big picture. For some of you, uh, for some of you, you kind of start out and you have this emotional high, like you went to some church conference or, a, or something like that, and all of a sudden, you're just on this emotional high with Jesus, and I feel so close to him, and I'm reading my Bible every day, and when I pray, things happen, and it's amazing, and then sometimes our faith kind of plateaus a little bit, and we're like, oh no, what's wrong with me? Did Jesus leave? Like, is he upset with me or something? And sometimes we can get a little depressed, and we go down into the valley, and then we plateau, and then something good happens, and we feel like God is close to us. But for a lot of us, this is where we are today. We're just kind of plateaued. If that's kind of the journey of faith, where would you put yourself today? Where would you put yourself, and, and where are you going? And the question is, are you moving? And that begs the question, what are we moving towards? <laughs> What's the goal of all of this? Why have we packed out a used car dealership today, right? Why do we show up here every week? By the way, hi to those of you in the lobby. Welcome. We're glad uh, that you're here. Uh, why, why are you here? What's the goal of all this? Why do we get together and sing songs and, and do everything that we do here? Well, it turns out that the goal of following Jesus, what Jesus was inviting to Peter uh, into, is not so much of a destination as it is a certain kind of person. So let's look at that a little bit. If you have your Bibles, which I know a lot of you do, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to start today, and we'll get to Acts in just a little bit. So Ephesians chapter 4, it's going to be in the way back of your Bible, really tiny book, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, kind of around that area. So Philippians, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is writing to the early church, and they've just seen Jesus come back from the dead. He's planting these churches all over Asia, and now He's writing to the church in Colossae. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. If you've got your Bible open and you're there, say, I'm there. Yeah. All right. Ephesians chapter 4. I think some of you just say that because it's fun to say. You're not really following along. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So it says this. Paul says, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers meaning the leaders in the church, this is their role, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, you, may be built up. And then let's read verse 13 together up on the screen here nice and loud. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Paul comes right out and says that what is the goal of the journey? of the Christian journey. Where are we going? Why are we doing what we're doing? What difference does Easter make? Well, we're following Jesus. What's the goal of that? It is to become mature. And is it just for a few people to become mature, like the pastor and the worship leader and the church staff and those that are really gung-ho about Jesus? No, it says until we, what's the yellow word up there? Until we all, meaning every single one of us, is called to go on to maturity. We can't stay where we are, wherever you're at in your journey of faith. Jesus says, follow me. Let's move forward. So what does it look like to be mature? Look at the end of the verse. Jesus says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of 
Christ, meaning maturity in Christ is looking more and more like Jesus, that we become people that are increasingly thinking, feeling, and acting more like Jesus. That is the goal of our faith. We are people that are developing the character of Christ, and we are people that are developing the competency of Christ. A nice way of saying that is that our goal as a church is to be Jesus-like people doing Jesus-like things, okay? Jesus-like people doing Jesus-like things. That's why we exist as a church. Although the donut holes are great, right? That's why we exist as a church. So come for the donut holes or the bacon and stay for Jesus, okay? That's fine. We can do that. The reason that Jesus came looking for Peter that day is that rabbis would have these followers, and those followers would call, were called disciples. And so the journey of faith we call is this fancy church word, discipleship. And it comes from the idea of rabbis and their disciples. So in the New Testament, the Greek word for disciple is mathetes. Everybody say mathetes. Learn a little bit of Greek here this morning. And mathetes literally means learner or apprentice. Okay? Think of like Luke Skywalker and Yoda here. Okay? So he is a, a Jedi. He's learning to be as an apprentice to Yoda, okay? So a disciple of Jesus is a person who is apprenticing Jesus, reorienting their entire life around Jesus. Not just cognitively what I know, but I'm going to follow Jesus just like the disciples did wherever he goes and whatever he does. Therefore, maturity in Christ, the goal of the journey, is not necessarily how much information I know about the Bible. It's not necessarily how long I've been going to church. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies I've attended primarily. It doesn't matter if I know how to pray amazingly or if I have perfect church attendance, right? Discipleship is not ultimately judged by how old you are or young you are. Discipleship, maturity in the church is measured by one thing. Does my life look more and more increasingly like Jesus? And am I teaching others to do the same? Okay? Disciples make disciples. It's like peanut butter and jelly. You can't have one without the other. They go together. Okay? Discipleship, learning to be like Jesus. It asks, begs the question, I have to ask myself this sometime, with all the distractions and all the noise and how busy and cluttered we get in my life, in all of our lives, I have to ask myself the question, do I look more like Jesus this month than I did last month? Am I apprenticing Jesus? <laughs> Or is there an area of my life that doesn't look like him? And if so, that's a growth area for me. Not because I have to earn his love. I already have it. Discipleship is a response to the invitation of Jesus saying, I love you and I accept you just as you are. Now come, Peter. Now come you and follow me. It makes you think it could be possible to be a full-time churchgoer and a part-time disciple. And Jesus is way more interested in you being a disciple. And as a result of that, we worship Weekly. So back to our question, how do I grow in my faith? Well, you see all of life, the mountaintops, the valleys, the plateaus, you see all of life as an opportunity to be discipled. Think about if I wanted to become a, a world-class artist or if I wanted to become a world-class piano player. Let's say uh, when I was growing up, there was this guy named Tiger Woods. He's really old and kind of irrelevant now. But there was this guy named Tiger Woods, and he was a really good golfer. And then he wrecked his car and had seven back surgeries. And, but... If I wanted to become a world-class golfer, let's say in 2001, right, I would want to follow Tiger Woods around and do what, I don't want to sit in a class with him. I don't want to listen to Tiger Woods preach and give me some information about golfing. 
I want to live life with him. I want to train with him. I want to have the eat like he does. I want to to lift weights and exercise the way he does. I want to go on the golf course and, and live life with him. That's why Jesus said, come follow me. Watch the way that I live. Reorient yourself around me. So if we're going to become like Jesus, if we're going to go and move forward on our journey, if we're going to grow in our faith, we should focus in on what exactly, not did Tiger Woods do, but what are the practices that Jesus did? What were the rhythms of Jesus' life that he lived? Okay, so in a, in a visual sense, and some of you have seen this before, but we're going to take kind of a, a new look uh, on it today. If you're taking notes or whatever, if you want to uh, draw a triangle, Jesus had three primary loves in his life. First of all, Jesus had a relationship with his father that was upwards. I'm not just going to tell you about this because I feel like we got a pretty raucous crowd uh, here today. And because I spent eight summers at Bible camp, everything has actions, okay? So before we do this, just turn to your neighbor and look at him right now and say, we're really doing this. Just tell him that right now. We're really going to do this. And now look at him again and say, you're not too cool. Just tell him that right now. You're not too cool, okay? Everybody push your arms up like this, okay? Like you're on the dance floor, okay? And you're going to raise the roof. Everybody say, up. Up, okay? You can push. You don't have to do that the whole service, okay? Right? A little dance break there, right? So up. Jesus had an upward relationship with his father. You're going to remember this today because we're doing it, right? Jesus had this constant connection with his father. Jesus worshiped in the temple regularly. He spent time in God's word. He spent time alone with God. Jesus had an upward dimension to his life. Jesus also had an inward dimension. Everybody, this one's kind of fun. This is like you're kind of the DJ. So we got up and then we got in. Everybody kind of go like this, like you're mixing the DJ, okay? You're not too cool for this, okay? Everybody's doing it. We all look silly together, okay? So everybody say up. Everybody say in. Kind of mixing like that. Inward. Jesus intentionally chose to live life in community. There was a strong inward dimension to his life. He chose relationship. He was modeling that for us to do life together. Not just on Sunday mornings, but to do life together. And last but not least, there was an outward dimension to Jesus' life too. Everything that he did was for the sake of turning outward to the the lost and broken and hurting world around him to love and serve those around him. And so this one is kind of fun for all you uh, Saturday Night Fever uh, fans that will stay in alive. So kind of do a little bit of these right here, okay? That's out, okay? So let's put them all together. Ready? Up. In and out. Oh, that's so awesome. Good job, everybody. Good. Give yourselves a round of applause. You're, thanks for doing that. <laughs> of the many things I love about you as a church is that we can do stuff like that and I don't get booed off the stage. It's amazing. And I still have a job tomorrow. You're great. That's awesome. So up, in, and out. There's a reason that we have them on the banners as you come in, as you leave every single week. Up, in, and out. Connect, grow, and serve. This is how we Grow. So it's no wonder when we turn the page to the book of Acts, if this is Jesus' life, a 3D, a three-dimensional kind of life, we start seeing the early church, what we heard in our scripture reading today, take on a three-dimensional kind of Jesus life. So verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship in to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Just as a aside, when's the last time you were in awe of God? When's the last time you just, oh, wow. It's healthy. 
That was just an aside. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. Every day they met in the temple courts, people. Church every day. Whoa, these people are crazy, right? They met in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So what we see in this 3D type of living, how does that take shape in the life of a community? What does this look like for us as a church. Well, if we're living inwards, that meaning we're connecting with each other as family. Everybody say connect. connect. And if we're living upward, that means we're growing in our relationship with God. Everybody say grow. grow. And if we're reaching out to the world around us, that means that we're living out as we serve. Everybody say serve. serve. So connect, grow, and serve. That's why we exist as a church. It's to connect with each other, it's to grow in our relationship with God, and to serve the world around us. So how do we grow in our faith? We connect, we grow, and we serve. And if that wasn't enough, I thought we could use some props just to get it in your head this morning. Everybody say connect. Yeah. Connect, we got to plug in. Everybody say grow. grow. Grow, nice little plant there. And last but not least, everybody say serve. serve. Oh, I hit the light. We'll get to that in a little bit. So some of you are wondering, why do we have rubber bands for serve? Pay attention, because I'm just going to have a rubber band up here, and if I see anybody nodding off, I'll just kind of, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, right? Okay, so let's start at the beginning, right? Everybody say connect. 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 So this is the inward dimension. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he does something radical. He, God, Jesus is God in flesh. He does something crazy. He chooses to be in a group. He chooses to be in relationship. Mark 3.14 says it this way, Jesus appointed the 12 that they might be with him so that he could send them out to preach. Notice the reason he chose them was to be with him. Not once a week, but they did everything together so that they would connect in community. And some of you are thinking about this going, he's God. Jesus doesn't need anything. Would it, would it shock you that Jesus was maybe demonstrating something for the disciples and for us about what we're created for, what we need. Even if he didn't need it himself, he's demonstrating it for them before they even understood it. So what about the church in Acts? How does this look like in the church? They just start connecting with each other. They start plugging into this Holy Spirit power and things, amazing things start to happen. And we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship. Now, I don't know about you, but fellowship's kind of a weird word. It's kind of a churchy word, and we don't really use it. So just think of community. But for a lot of you, when you think of the word church and community together, when you think of the idea of church and, like, real, true, genuine relationships, some of you are like, oh, now that's pushing it a little bit, Pastor John. If we're honest, for some of you, you have your church friends, and then you have your people I go with, uh, out on Friday night friends, Right? There's no way I would do what I do on Friday and Saturday nights with my church friends because pff, what if they found out what I did, right? Why does it have to be two different groups of people? Why can't you be the same person in both places? Well, we kind of developed this idea that my church friends are these people, and when I hear church and friends, I think of shallowness. I think of, I think of a boredom. When I think of fellowship, I think of sitting in a... a there's nothing wrong with church basements, but I think of church basements, green shag carpet, McDonald's drink, orange Kool-Aid, some cookies uh, with the quilting ladies. Nothing against them. I love quilting ladies, but this is what I grew up with in a kind of some shallow conversation. 
And for some of you, that's your idea of church and relationships. So when I say, join a small group, you're like, with these people sitting around me? They're weird, right? So are you. Get over it, right? We're all weird together, okay? That's not what Jesus had in mind, but yet that's the idea is that somehow we think if I'm going to have real fun and real joy and real friends, real authenticity, i got to go outside the church to find that. Why? Why can't we be different? Why can't we buck the system? Shouldn't Christians be the most joy-filled, servant-hearted, loving, fun people in the world? Amen? Amen? So why not, right? Why do we have to go somewhere else to find that? Yes, by all means, have friends outside of the church. Please. It's really hard to make disciples if you're only with disciples, right? So please do that. But why do you have to be a different person? Some of us get the idea in our head that Christian community equals shallowness. Well, for those of you that prefer a shallow life and want to just skim the surface, we have a brand new group for you that we've created here at Hope Des Moines, and it's called the Shallow Small Group. Let's take a look. Hey, the word super is in superficial, right? And I'll be honest with you, right? J just so you know, that group does not exist here at Hope Des Moines. Like, we're we're going to have a whole bunch of sign-ups for a shallow small group, right? I'll be honest with you. That sounds really appealing to me for a variety of reasons. I'm often tired, I'm busy, and I don't like to let down my guard. Who wants to be vulnerable, right? Blech. With church people? Here's the thing. The shallow small group, shallow life is great. Popping in and popping out on a Sunday morning, never plugging in, never getting connected. Boy, it works really well until real life happens. Until you're struggling in your marriage until you're struggling financially, until you have a lot of questions about parenting, until you're lost and alone and afraid and you're struggling with something or an addiction or a habit that you just can't break, which is all of us, and you're like, man, that shallow thing was fun for a while, but now I don't know anybody. I don't have any relationships. And the good news this morning is that that's never how Jesus designed it. When the fellowship is talked about here in Acts chapter 2, that Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. 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 And if you translate that, it literally translates as a, a relationship you would have with your family or intimacy. Or if you dig a little bit deeper, it's actually a pledge of loyalty. In other words, these are the kind of people that in Acts chapter 2, they looked at each other in the eyes and said, I need you. Being in a group together is not an option for a follower of Jesus. It's, it's a necessity. It's like, I need you in my life. We are locking arms together, and we're going to learn how to do this Jesus thing together. We're going to follow him together. I need you. Jesus' model of discipleship that he modeled was life on life, and the early church realized, they said, well, we can't disciple each other if we don't know each other. We can't disciple each other if we're not in community. So some of you today are just kind of wandering around like this, going, why don't I feel the power? <laughs> why do I feel so disconnected from everybody? I don't really know if I have any friends. I walk in here on a Sunday morning, and I know some faces, but nobody knows my story. Maybe it's time to plug in. Maybe it's time to come fully alive and, 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 and be known. I was talking to a guy a couple weeks ago here in our community that's uh, in his kind of mid to late 60s, just retired. He's been around the church for a long time. He's led tons of Bible studies. He started small groups for us in the past. And I said, hey, have you, uh, 
do you ever feel like you just kind of been there, done that? Like, are you, are you still in a group? I asked him because I hadn't talked to him in a while. He said, oh, yeah, I'm still in a group. I said, oh, I, I thought like, you know, as you kind of grow in maturity and you've been around for a long time, you ever just feel like taking a break? Like, no, this isn't really a good season of life. Kind of done that. He's like, are you kidding me, John? The longer I follow Jesus, it's not the less I need a small group. I need a small group more. Because the more I learn about God and the more I learn about myself, I learn that I don't have it all together and I need help. This is a guy that has been following Jesus his entire life for 60 years and he says, I am desperate for relationships. You don't graduate from groups. You don't graduate from Christianity in that sense. We've got group launch coming up. Look at your, look at your, uh, your card, your spring into action card. Maybe it's time to get connected at group launch on Wednesday. Maybe it's time to look at that inward dimension of your life and say, you know what? The most important relationship in my life are under my own roof. Most importantly, my spouse. How's that relationship these days? Carve it out. Put it in your schedule. Marriage night, May 12th. Take some time to invest in the most important inward relationship of your life. More important than your grandparents. More important than your extended family. More important than your kids. And that sounds a little crazy to say this day and age. More important than your kids is your marriage. The most important gift that you can give to your kids is a mom and dad who are following Jesus and are madly in love with each other. Pour into that relationship first and the rest of them seem to fall into place. So first, connect. Everybody say connect. Connect. Next, grow. Everybody say grow. grow. The reason this is so beautiful and plugged in is because it's rooted. It's because it's planted. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Jesus modeled this constant rootedness, this dependence on the Father. Jesus says, put your roots down. It's how you grow. Develop this upward relationship with God. Make worship a priority every single week. Believers met daily in the temple courts and said they worshiped in each other's homes. Some of the most on-fire people for Jesus I know worship more during the week than they do on Sundays. They've cultivated this life of worship where they just get down on their knees in their living room and just sing. And the Bible says 121 times, sing to the Lord, and it doesn't say on tune. Okay? So just worship God, and then Sundays becomes icing on the cake. Secondly, they put their roots down into God's word. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship and sharing in meals and prayer. My prayer is that we will be a church that continues to love the word of God, and you wouldn't even think about leaving your house in the morning without bringing your Bible. I had a guy walk into Saturday night service last night, and he goes, hey, Pastor John, brought it with me this week, and I'm like, good job, Christian of the Week award, you know, and uh, I pray that, that this thing would be so beaten up and bruised and torn and underlined and highlighted, because we're a church that loves God's word. I remember distinctly where I was. I was sitting up in the nosebleed section of the Target Center in Minneapolis where the Timberwolves play. And I was there in the, in the mid-90s uh, for one of the very first, well, kind of not the first, but one of several Promise Keepers events. Any guys remember Promise Keepers back in the 90s? It was a big men's movement, and they did, packed out stadiums all over the place. And so my dad has my brother and I come. I'm in eighth or ninth grade, same age as our confirmation students today. And when you're in 8th or ninth grade as a guy, you never say it out loud, but every young guy is trying to figure out what does it mean to be a man. Every guy is, is, is asking that question whether they say it or not. And so one of the first guys to get up and speak was a pastor, but he'd been a former NFL player. And so I'm like, I'm paying attention to this because I remember when he was a, an NFL star. And he gets up 
and I will never forget what he said. It's like he looked right at us up in the, up in the bleachers, way up there. And he said, men, guys, do you want to know what it means to be a man? And so I kind of sat up in my seat, and I was like, yes, sir, I do. I, my brother and I were like, yes, we're all ears, right? Do you want to know what it means to be a man, he said. And he held up his big black Bible. And he said, read this book every single day. Read this book every single day. Get up in the morning. I dare you, men, to get up in the morning every single day and read this book and look at the kind of man that Jesus was. Not some male, chauvinist, dominant pig that lords his authority over everybody and his wife, but a servant who serves his wife and serves his kids. And make sure you see your kids see you do it every single morning. That is the greatest legacy that you could leave. You want to know how to be a man? Read this book every single day and watch how Jesus did it. <laughs> and I was like, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir, right? My brother and I left that day. You know how sometimes when you hear something, you just remember it? And I can't say that I've had perfect attendance, but man, most mornings I'm up and I think that my brother is up because a guy had the guts to challenge us and to say what needed to be said. And this isn't about just being a man. It's about being who God has called you to be. Jesus said, this is my daily bread. My daily bread. And it's just my sincere prayer for us as a church that every week we'd have just Bibles flying off of those shelves. Because <laughs> we have just such this hunger to know God's word. We have this hunger to know God in prayer. We have this prayer class starting tonight. I'll tell you this. How did I learn to pray? Some of you are like, probably seminary. Nope. You know how I learned how to pray? Is by hanging out with my buddy Shane in high school. And he said, just talk to God like he's sitting in the chair next to you. Take the prayer class that starts tonight. Learn how to pray. You learn by doing it. You learn by hanging out with people that just pray and have developed that relationship with God. Grow. Put your roots down deep. And I realize today I am talking to a room full of probably busy people with jam-packed schedules and saying, get in a life group and, and take the prayer class and read your Bible and, and all these things. And I, and I get that. When I talk to people in coffee shops and I'm hanging out with you before and after worship, number one, I hear, how do I grow in my faith? And number two, the second thing I hear most often, I am so busy. I am so tired. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it speaks directly to our problem. There's a Christian author named Morton Kelsey that's wrote a lot about the idea of margin in our lives. I'm guessing that for a lot of us, we don't have a lot of that. And he says this as it comes to discipleship. He says, the most potentially destructive issue of spiritual growth is not alcohol, nor immorality, nor is it drugs. It's people who are perpetually busy. There is nothing that destroys people's spiritual lives like that. If Jesus was here today, he'd say, follow me. Those of you that are worn out from parenting. Those of you that got three hours of sleep last night. Those of you that have bags under your eyes. Those of you that are just killing it at work. And you're killing yourself in the process. Those of you that think you still have to earn your dad's approval in terms of what job you have or you have to earn your mom's approval by how good of a mom you are. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. A plant does not grow because it's busy. 
I don't see this plant going, okay, did that for a while, now I'm going to go run over here and be busy. A plant doesn't grow because it's busy. A plant grows because it's consistently rooted every single day. So we've got in, we've got up, we've got connect, we've got grow. Everybody say grow. And last but not least, we've got serve. One of the things that I love about Jesus is that in the up, in the in, and the out, these three dimensions were always working together. It's not like Jesus, uh, you know, was walking along with the disciples and said, okay, now we're going to stop and have a service project, Peter, James, and John, right? He just did it like there's 5,000 people that are hungry, and Jesus says, let's just do something about it. I already taught you that I'm the bread of life. I don't want you to just know that. We're going to do it. We're going to serve. We're going to do something about it. Serving was not an afterthought. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Jesus says, the reason that I came is not so I could develop a church and have it be a holy huddle where the people that really need hope are on the outside and we build these amazing buildings and come and hang out once in a week. Jesus says, the reason that I came was to turn you outward. And if you're anything like me, I struggle with this sometimes because I think, yeah, I'm going to come to worship every week and I'm going to join a small group. Oh, and oh, if I have time, maybe I'll serve. If I can work it into my schedule. (laughs) Jesus says, no, actually that's the centerpiece. When you start without, the other two seem to fall into place. Jesus says, I'm asking you to join me. I love how Colossians 2 puts it. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is uh, Eugene Peterson uh, writing this translation of Colossians chapter 2. He says, you're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You got what you need. You know your way around the faith. Now let's read it together in the yellow there. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. Those of you that are in school right now are going, amen, preach it, brother, right? School's out. What does that look like in a following Jesus sense, right? You have more information than 98% of the Christians in this world. Your heads are full. But move it from your head to your heart to your hands. School's out. You have what you need. When you come to worship every single week, it's like you have this rubber band in your hand, when you go to your small group every single week, when you spend time with God and prayer and study scripture, it's like every time you do that, it's like you're a slingshot. It's like you're a rubber band that gets pulled back and you have all this energy and this momentum. Is there anything inside of you that when you leave here every single week or when you leave your small group and you really had fun or you met with some other friends or something and you're just all fired up, is there any, any tension inside of you that goes, you know, maybe I should just go do that? Maybe we should just kind of stop talking about prayer. Maybe we should just pray. Maybe I should stop doing Bible studies about Jesus calling the disciples and actually be a disciple. Maybe I should just stop singing songs about surrendering to God and just go all in with him. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but that tension is a good tension because slingshots and rubber bands were not meant to stay like this your entire life. An up and an in kind of life with no out, is like a Christian that walks around perpetually like this. Oh, man, worship was great. Some of you are really paying attention now. Man, worship was awesome. My small group was so amazing. I'm just so filled up. I feel so good inside. Jesus says, great. What are you going to do about it? Some of you are going to walk around your entire Christian adult lives like this. You are so filled up. You have everything that you need. You are equipped. You know how to do this. Jesus says, school's out. Start living it. When you look at that sheet today, that spring into action sheet, 
ask God, not out of guilt or compulsion or pressure, ask God literally, where are you pointing me? (laughs) I've been so filled up by you with my up and my in kind of life, but I don't have an out. And I don't know why, but I woke up this morning and I just felt like maybe it was the pizza I had last night and I literally had pizza last night, but I just felt like God telling me to ask you this question. When's the last time you took a risk? When's the last time that you did something because of your faith in Jesus Christ, because of your security in him, that you have nothing to lose and nothing to prove? When's the last time you just took a risk and said, I'm going to get up in the morning, and I'm just going to trust Jesus that when I spend time with him, he's going to fill me up? When's the last time you walked across the street and said, missionaries don't have to just go to Africa, they can go across the street, and I'm going to go meet my neighbor, and I'm going inv- to learn my neighbor's names and start inviting them over for dinner? When's the last time you took a risk, and if you're having struggles in your marriage right now, say, I know my spouse doesn't deserve it, I don't deserve it either, but I am going to love them and serve their socks off this week. I'm just going to bless them. I'm just going to take some time, I'm going to take an afternoon off of work, and I'm going to invest in my kid's life because I only got a few years left with them before they're out of the house. Take a risk. Do something radical. You have nothing to lose because of your faith and security in Jesus Christ. Take a risk. This week, where is Jesus pointing you? I've never prayed before. I've never prayed out loud. Take the prayer class tonight. I've never been in a small group. These people look weird. So are you. Join a small group. Come to group launch. One of the things I love about you as a church is because you get the out. You don't just do Bible study. You do Bible doing. Hundreds and hundreds of volunteers every month, ushers, greeters, communion servers, these people around here in these blue shirts, they love it. They love doing it. I was looking back over our annual report and what we've done this past year, and this rubber band just kept getting stretched and stretched and stretched, and we have just been firing on all cylinders. 50,000 meals packaged right here for people all over the world. 125 gifts packaged for families at Hubble Elementary School right up the hill. Over 100 backpacks filled for kids that have no school supplies going back to school. 30-plus kids loved here in this building every single week through WizKids. Over 50 of you serving monthly and participating in our breakfast club Over 30 pairs of shoes collected for the running club at Central Iowa Shelter. And the list goes on and on and on. You continue to invite people. We continue to fill up the lobby and the loft. You continue to invite your neighbors. You continue to love the people around you. You are an incredible church. And here's why. You really know how to fire on all cylinders. Everybody, reach under your chairs right now and pull out that rubber band that should be there. Hopefully you haven't lost it yet. You haven't shot it yet. Pull that out, right? It should be under there. It should be on the floor. We're moving around. If you need one, just raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. If you need one, I've got more up here. Who needs one? You got them? Some of you are thinking this is really weird. All right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up because we can't do this sitting down. I want you to stand up and here's where we're going to end today. This is my question for you. When you think about the current state of your walk with God, as you're following Jesus, are you living a three-dimensional life? Yeah, you're living up. Yeah, you're living in. But are you living out? Are you letting it go? Are you, le- are you putting your faith into action? I love it. I love it that you're here every week. I love it that you're in small groups. But at some point, you got to do something with it. You got to let it go. So I was thinking, how do we end the service today? And I was like, oh, I could give everybody a rubber band, and they could say, oh, remember that? That was cute. Or I could just have us shoot them all, right? At me. 
And so on the count of three, if you've ever wanted to shoot your pastor with a rubber band, not yet, not yet. Jeez, you guys are really excited. Some of you, yes, yes, right? Don't get too excited about that, right? Here's what I'm going to say. We're living like, life like Jesus. Don't forget why we're doing this. Everybody say connect. connect. Everybody say grow. grow. Everybody say serve. serve. Everybody say up. up. Everybody say in. in. Now, when I say the next word, that's what I want you to fire. I'm going to say up. I'm going to say in. You repeat after me. And when I say out, I want you to fire those right here. And we are going to make a holy mess. And this is either going to be amazing or painful. Okay? You ready for this? As disciples of Jesus, we're called to live up, up. in, in. out. Yeah. Ah. Nice job. Give yourselves a round of applause. Good work. They're raining down from heaven. Now that you've come to church, go be the church. God bless you. We'll see you next week.